Welcome to Market Street to Main Street, AIM's legislative episodes of the Hometown Innovations podcast and a supplement to our e-newsletter, Legislative Summary. During the legislative session, this weekly podcast series will offer a rundown of what happened at the State House and important legislative action and issues our members need to know about. You'll hear AIM's expectations for the upcoming week and the team's strategy for addressing critical legislation. Welcome to Ames Market Street to Main Street, a special legislative series of our Hometown Innovations podcast. I'm Jennifer Simmons with AIM, joined by AIM's number one lobbyist, our perspicacious director of government affairs, Jenna Bentley. Jenna, welcome back. I, wouldn't even, I would not know how to spell that to even look it up, Simmons. Well, <laughs> it fits, Jenna. You get, look it up after it fits, 100%. Um, but I think at this point, we need to add co-host to your title. I mean, let's let's uh, face it. Without you, the podcast would be just me and my thesaurus. So <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> the co-host will add to your uh, lobbying titles. But uh, so that's probably the that's got to be the end of our frivolity for today because it was a really big week at the State House. So let's get into the meat. Um, remind us where we are in the legislative process and timeline and whatnot. Yeah. So this week was huge because it was the last week of committees. Um, so there will no be, there will not be any more committees um, next week except for what are called conference committees. So this week we saw a lot of what I would call like chest pieces being put on the board um, in committees. There were a lot of bills that were amended, which I know we'll get into. Um, and then next week is the anticipated final week of session. So they technically could go through March um, 14th, but Speaker Houston and his media availability in a, in a meeting with um, us yesterday mentioned that they're really targeting you know, March 8th, that next Friday as their last day, it could go into the, to the early hours or technically could be Saturday, um, but they're hoping to wrap up all of their work next week. So what we expect to see is a lot of concurrences on bills, meaning, you know, the House, off, House author agrees with what the Senate did and vice versa. But there will definitely be a lot of dis, a handful of dissents as well. Um, where the original author of the bill will disagree with the changes and those changes will be negotiated in conference committee. Um, and this week it became kind of clearer what those issues will be um, for us heading into the to the final week of session. That's a good lead in um, to the next topic, which is the those big issues. And we're covering five, which there, there really aren't that many still left hanging. So those five major issues are covered in the written legislative summary this week. But I think we probably need to dive into uh, the property tax and TIF language that has been uh, floating around, inserted, et cetera, pulled out, you name it, this week. There's been a lot of activity on those two issues. Do you want to kind of walk through what's happened and even in just the last couple of days? Sure. So as as you'll probably remember, we've spent a lot of time talking about House Bill 1120, which was is authored by Chairman Jeff Thompson, who chairs Ways and Means. In the House passed version of that bill, there were two provisions we spent a lot of time talking about 
one dealing with excess levy appeals and the other dealing with TIF parcels. So that bill was heard, um, well, amended vote only this week in Senate Tax and Fiscal, uh, meaning they already took testimony on it a couple of weeks ago and that the Senate was going to make changes to it. So what the Senate did is they removed that excess levy appeal language, which would have increased the threshold to even qualify for an excess levy appeal, which we are super grateful for. A lot of our members need that. It's the only way to, to grow their, their levy. So that was removed. And then the TIF parcel language, which would have prevented a um, unit from removing a, a parcel from an existing allocation area and adding it to a new allocation area. There's a lot of concern about how that could impact projects. Sometimes the scope and timeline of projects changes. So that language was also removed, which we are very grateful for. However, the Senate added in language that deals with the maximum levy growth quotient. This is an issue that you'll recall from last session where the General Assembly capped the MLGQ for two years at 4%. So essentially your levy can only grow by 4% from the previous year. All numbers indicate that it should be at least 5%. Um, and so that natural growth um, being arbitrarily capped is problematic for our cities and towns. There have been a lot of conversations about changing the, the MLGQ and, and how that's measured under current law. It's a six-year rolling average of non-farm income. And so Senator Baldwin, who, who introduced this amendment and supported this change in committee this week, very much believes that that calculation should be changed. He doesn't think it's the proper measurement of growth. My point to him was, but it is the measurement of growth that we have. And so to, to cap it into 2026, when we're already starting to see the leveling out of the housing market that caused the, caused the dramatic increase in assessed value is, I think it's, it's just gonna cause concern and confusion for our members who are trying to budget into the future. And because it is the only way our levies grow, and, and we, I think we need to recognize that there are already caps in place. There are property tax caps. So the ability to grow our levy is already super limited. If you look at the tax foundation studies from across the state, we are one of the best environments in the country for property taxes. And so I, I think we've had these big picture conversations about studying property taxes. So just to extend this cap in the meantime is something we strongly oppose and had several conversations about in the last two days. Right, and for, um, we need data, right? Like, like there's nothing really out there that even says this is going to have the long-term positive effect. And I think um, that's what the, Salter committee mm -hmm. was for. So I completely um, understand what you're saying, Jenna, that we need to have a long-term discussion. Maybe it's not the right approach, the MLGQ, like you said, but you know, making changes to it now um, only causes harm, right? That's all I can see ahead. I would love to take a step back and like clearly define the problem because, you know, Senator Baldwin also talked about concerns with units going to the max every year. And, and from our perspective, it's, well, it's the system we have, we're incentivized to go to the max. Yes. But the cost of providing services to constituents is also increasing the cost mm -hmm. to do road projects 
And I haven't met any city or town who feels comfortable with their ability to find public safety officials. Right. The, the cost to pay their salaries is only going up and being able to re retain and recruit them is becoming harder and harder. So first, I'd like to take a step back and say, here are the, the budgeting challenges mm -hmm. we're experiencing. And two, going to the max, it's, it's a whole big picture conversation like we've already talked about. And so I knew I do know too. In talking to Chairman Thompson, he's he spent a lot of time this session talking about concerns about school debt and referendum and what that does to the property tax taxes in the state of Indiana and individual property taxpayers' bills. But in the meantime, I feel like we're caught up um, in the middle of some of those school mm -hmm. conversations going on by capping the MLGQ. So I think. You know, for our members listening, I encourage you to reach out to your senator um, and your member of the House as well on this specific provision and make it as real as possible as what it means for your your budgets, mm -hmm. um, because I do think there's some education we need to continue to do with members of the General Assembly, um, knowing that the property tax conversation is going to only ramp up in 2025, I expect. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, just like in our personal lives, we're all dealing with increased costs of groceries and uh, well, everything. Right. And and so there needs to be an acknowledgement that this is also happening to government. We're not immune from mm -hmm. increased prices. And, you know, there was an acknowledgement in the state budget that we needed to pay state police more. Right. That starting salary needed to go up. And they certainly did. And they certainly deserve it. But we need that acknowledgement that we're having those same challenges at the local level, recruiting and retaining talent, not just any talent, law enforcement that is a key municipal service. If we can't provide the basics like safety, public safety, um, you know, what are we doing? What are yeah, we doing? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Rant, rant over. Um, what, uh, what is there to say about TIF? I think there's a yeah. lot going on in terms of TIF as well. So within that house pass version of 1120, I mentioned it a, a bit ago, but the, the language that would have present, prevented a unit from moving a parcel um, from an existing allocation area and adding it to a new one, that language was removed from 1120, but similar language was added over on the house side um, and ways and means to Senate Bill 256, it attempted to clarify that you could add it to a, to a new area. Um, the intent of Chairman Thompson was to say you couldn't add it back to the same exact allocation area for the purpose of resetting the base. But even the language that was amended into 256, there's still some ambiguity because it doesn't reference allocation area. So we did meet with Chairman Thompson yesterday, and he said he's not going to push this language in conference committee. He does want to take a step back and study it through Salter. So even though the language is in Senate Bill 256 right now, it's likely going to be ruled non-germane, and Chairman Thompson committed to not adding this anywhere else in the process. So the TIF parcel language, I, I think, is, is done for 2024. It'll be an ongoing conversation in Chairman Thompson to really identify what he's he's working toward this summer. But a whole other big TIF conversation emerged on second reading yesterday, um, and that ties into the Innovation Development District's statute um, that was established a few years ago on um, 
in conjunction with work being done by the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. So we're still kind of working with experts to weigh in on, on their opinions, but I do think that the amendment is, um, is a step further than what was initially introduced in, in that previous session where um, basically what it says is the IEDC can designate a um, new innovation development district in an area where there's already a local TIF district or a local allocation area. Current law would have prevented that from happening. And so, you know, the rationale is development likely wants to occur where there's already development, which is something we talk a lot about when it comes to our local TIFs. So, but this would, this would allow that to happen. But in order for that to the IEDC to make that designation, they would have to get budget committee approval and notify the executives of the local units. And then, so once the IEDC designates that area, there would have to be an agreement between the executive of the jurisdiction um, to say like, how is this going to play out practically? What portion of the increment are we going to get? It also, they didn't want to impact existing bonds either. So if there is you know, increment that is going back toward paying a, an obligation or a bond for the municipality that would be required to pay off, but the local unit could not extend or um, add their own allocation area to that designated area in the future until the innovation development district bond is then paid off. So there's going to be a lot of interplay between what the locals are doing with development and what the IEDC is attempting to do. But the good news is it does require that agreement with the local executive. So at least at least the mayor in the city's case will be able to weigh in um, on that. So I, I do think, um, again, if you had feedback on this, we're, we're welcome to it. But essentially, it's, it's giving the state kind of the tools they need to attract new development um, to the state. And I do think one area where you'll want to consider when you're working with the IEDC on this agreements is when the IEDC designates um, a new IDD, it will set the base at that point in time. So even if you're collecting the increment for five more years on your, your portion of the property taxes, when your bonds expire and when that local TIF essentially is done, um, the base will be at a lower rate than maybe it, it could have been in because the IEDC will be collecting from that number. So it's kind of confusing, kind of complicated, Highly recommend um, taking a look at that, but the intent is for that at least a little bit of collaboration between the IADC and the local unit of government. So just so everyone knows, this doesn't trigger for every you know project, everything you know that we're all trying to recruit to our communities. This does not apply, correct? Sure. So it's it's it could apply to projects under two billion, but already in statute you have to have kind of um, notification to the local unit and sort that out. Mm -hmm. But really, this is aimed at projects over two billion dollars um, in nature. So these are huge projects that the state is competing with other states on, and this is the incentive they need. So I don't think you'll see wide use of this. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, what what's good for the state when it comes to the IDD is not only do they collect the property taxes, but they're able to collect sales and income tax um, using as kind of essentially a TIF district. Um, so that's why why the state has turned to this model. They, they know that economic development doesn't happen just randomly, but it does require investment, which we mm -hmm. often say when it comes to our local TIFs. 
but it, it allows them to capture that sales and, and income tax. And then the interaction between the, the local unit and the state will really come down to that property tax piece as well. Yeah, I do love the acknowledgement, though, by the the state that uh, this TIF concept, right, this is a working concept, this works. It is a successful concept, which I think is why they're they're turning to it. So hopefully that acknowledgement will have some long-term positive effects for cities and towns. I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed on that. Perfect. Um, Jenna, what are, is there one or two bills or are there one or two bills that you're particularly, particularly happy to see moving um, that, you know, will make a meaningful impact on cities and towns? Yeah, I mean, I think we talk a lot about our our operational initiatives in the beginning of session, and I, I don't want to take kind of the progress we've been able to make for granted. Um, there are a number of bills that are intended and do will help cities and towns. Um, we've had a lot of conversations about public notice requirements over the years. There's been movement um, with a bill from Representative Meltzer and Representative Miller and Senator Buck to start to modernize how those public notices are published. So I do think we have a commitment from Chairman Miller to continue this conversation in 2025. But in the meantime, there's language that says for additional appropriations, you can post those to Gateway rather than through the newspaper, which is a helpful step in the right direction. And then Representative Meltzer's bill for all public notices says that if they're required to be published in the newspaper, you have the option to work with the newspaper to publish them on their website. And if they don't have a website that meets certain kind of content requirements where they're publishing regularly, then the local unit can publish on their own website. So it's giving them options where we've been just hearing more and more about local units who are having a hard time um, finding newspapers that meet the circulation requirements who, or who are publishing them in a timely manner. Um, but I do know there will be a larger conversation about potentially working with the state to publish them on all notices on their website in the future or on local units um, own websites. So more to come there, but certainly progress that I, I did want to mention for our members. And then um, mobile integrated health has been a priority for our members. There were two bills moving this session dealing with it. Um, Senator um, Baldwin carried a bill for for Mayor Jensen that would have established would establish a fund for mobile integrated health grants in the future, working with FSSA and other stakeholders. The bill passed the Senate and um, made it out of committee on the House side, but got recommitted to Ways and Means. The length, the initial bill didn't get a hearing, but it was incorporated into Senate Bill 256, which is the bill that has a whole lot of provisions now. Um, and we'll likely move out of the house. So that is good news um, that there's recognition and a need to establish this grant program. The other conversation um, tied to mobile integrated health would have required private insurance to reimburse for mobile integrated health services. That passed the Senate, but got caught up on in-house insurance this year. The chairman of the committee you know, asked stakeholders to meet with the Insurance Institute and try to work this out in a way where where it doesn't require legislation, but if they they can't come to an agreement this summer, um, then the chairman committed to pursuing this issue and authoring a bill himself. So some progress made in the mobile integrated health space, 
but I, I know that this has always been intended to be a kind of 2.0 conversation in a budget session to, to hopefully get additional funding for local units to start a program, and then on the insurance piece to, to help make long-term sustainable funding through reimbursement for these critical services. So good news there. Um, and I know too, we'll continue the conversation on mobile and manufactured homes. We've made some progress. We're not exactly where we wanna be, but have a commitment from Chairman Miller to also work on that issue next session as well. That's great, that's great. A lot going on. It's gonna be a really busy week next week, Jenna. Um, this would be, now if they do get out on March 8th, I will say this would be one of the few times where they walk in at the beginning and say, we're going to try to get out early and they actually do. So fingers crossed, it's actually looking pretty good. Um, we'll I think see. they got some of their big issues squared away this week. I think there's still more on the table, but it's amazing that there's still so many issues out there, but it's, if it's not city or town related, it's hard to keep up on the, the status of right. There's right. so. still a lot of talk about education, Medicaid, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of, a lot happening on other issues. 13th um, check. What's that? There's some pension issues out there as well, but oh yeah. easy. That's easy stuff. No, mm -hmm. no big deal. Um, all right. So last week, Jenna, I told you that, we got to start cataloging those 2025 issues. So I just wanted to check in on your homework. Um, not that you had anything else going on, but you have that list done, right? Well, it, it certainly started. I had two meetings <laughs> this week with stakeholders about a variety of issues, but to start 2025 conversations. Oh, wow. I, heck, I was kidding. I can't believe you even had time to do that. Everything from annexation to utilities. There's um, some issues dealing with Cable pollution to we've already talked about property taxes, lit road funding. Um, I've mentioned mobile and manufactured homes that we got to come back and work on it. Public notice. Um, so yeah, I've I've started Simmons. Just a light, <laughs> just a, just light load this summer. Yeah. Um, you touched on this in the property tax um, discussion, but you know it is a big week. So what can AIM members do this weekend? Um, to be helpful when they see their legislators back home? Talk to them about the, the MLGQ provision. I think that's the one piece still out there that um, we don't know where it's going to land. Um, and I would, make, like I said earlier, just make it very real to them what it means for your city or town budget by capping at 4% for another year in 2026. Not only does it impact your 2026 budget, but it has a forever impact and that your levy is based on the previous year. Um, but I would say like, this is the amount of money that we, the amount of revenue that we would no longer receive and this is what it would fund. So really dig in on that issue if you see your legislators. And if you don't, feel free to send them a text or give them a call. Is that a fiscal note on, gonna be in legislative summary today, Jenna? Will we be able to link the, the fiscal yeah. and see? We'll be sure to, to link the fiscal um, for that. Um, there's the kind of statewide summary, and then there's a link to, to the summary by unit. But mm -hmm. I'd also recommend talking to your financial advisor to, to kind of see what numbers they have for you specifically as well. Yeah, you kind of, uh, and on that point, I was also going to ask, um, we have a lot of newly elected officials. I mean, not to be Mrs. Obvious, but there are a lot of new elected officials out there just getting their feet under them. Um, MLGQ, not an easy concept. Not, um, so 
how might they get up to speed real quick on what that means so that they do feel comfortable talking with legislators? Sure. Call me or Campbell, but I'd say the best way to describe it is it is the the only way your levy grows. So it is the formula that the state, it's a state number that they provide and you have your levy from last year and they multiply it by with its cap 4% and that's the maximum levy you can get the following year. So it's, you know, it's intended to account for things like inflation. I think 4% growth in non-farm income probably isn't the right measurement, but I would say it's the only way to grow your levy. And as we've talked about with expenses increasing, um, I would make that case to your legislator. But if you want to, if you don't feel comfortable with that simple explanation, please reach out to us um, and we can walk you through it in a, a little more in depth. Yep. All right. I think we'll leave it there. Jenna, get some rest this weekend, do some carb loading for next week. Um, so you can sprint to the finish and please read today's legislative summary, everyone, and check the bill tracking list. There's still a lot going on out there. Um, so read that bill tracking list and let Jenna and her team know if you have any questions. Uh, otherwise, we will be back next week. Watch your email this week for any special legislative alerts requesting your assistance in the final days of session. Uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>